The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Monday. That's right. It's the most important day of the week. It is January 29th, and today is, that's right, it's for all the trappers out there because today is National Bubble Wrap Day. It's also National Corn Chip Day and National Puzzle Day. Well, we got a whole bunch of puzzles going on. But thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see exactly where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and on our very own website, www.hyatt9news.com. But kicking it off today, that's right. It's the man with the happy cabbage, not the sad cabbage or the boiled cabbage, but the happy cabbage. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, Mr. Rico Lemite. Oh, yeah, Jason. Definitely appreciate the love there. And the cabbage is always happy. Yeah. Now, um, one of our favorite uh, topics here at High and High News is always New York cannabis. And it seems like yesterday... A newly appointed, seemingly industry-friendly Governor Kathy Hochul took office in New York, promising 50 new legal dispensary openings per month in 2023. A year and a month later, there are but 59 operating in total in the Empire State. And it's obvious that the original game plan fell way short of its intended goals. Uh, but is it time to scrap it all together and start from scratch? At least one person seems to think so. According to Marijuana Moments, Kyle Yeager, New York Governor Kathy Hochul says, Hochul says uh, she's very fed up with how long it's taking to expand the state's recreational marijuana market with more licensed businesses, revealing that she recently urged regulators to go back to the drawing board and approve hundreds of new retailers. With licensed applicants foising frustration over delayed approvals and an abrupt cancellation of cannabis control board meeting last Wednesday, where regulators were expected to grant additional approvals, saying that New York operator tensions are high might be the understatement of the year. Spectrum One reported that an event at an event in Buffalo Friday, a fired-up Governor Hochul said that she caught wind of the fact that the board was only prepared to sign off on three new licenses, so her office intervened. My team got involved and said, no, 
go back to the drawing board, work harder, get this done. And no, I'm not satisfied with that pace. The governor continued saying that applicants who are still waiting for the board's sign off are absolutely right to be frustrated. I'll tell you right now, I'm very fed up with how long it's taking to get these approvals. She did, however, concede that regulators are not entirely at fault and litigation from larger conglomerates led to courts, ultimately delaying the license process for months at, at a time, even though just a handful of dispensaries were open prior to the lawsuit referenced was filed. Yeager noted that officials were also set to consider proposed rules allowing home cultivation of cannabis for adults at Wednesday's meeting that was canceled. But um, I don't know. What do y'all think? Um, are you buying Governor Hochul's new tough talk here? <laughs> Should New York just scrap the progress already made and start fresh? I can't call it. That's why I'm asking the rest of the team. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for Hide 9 News. What do you guys think? This this is like the the dog and pony show right here, Rico. I'm very upset. You guys aren't working hard enough. Yeah, this is all this is all extra drama. All right, she doesn't care about any of this. I mean, she went into a store and she didn't even buy a souvenir ashtray. She does not care about this at all. She is just totally grandstanding and using this to placate to voters. Well, I'm glad that Vocal Hokel is expressing uh, her frustration Vocal over <laughs> what has occurred during her leadership. And so... I don't know what you call that self-expression, throw your people under the bus, show that you can relate to the people who are trying to wait for your mm -hmm. glacial change to speed up. But the truth is she's got to own this. This is her bed. I'll give you a little bit of a spicy analogy. Oh, and with go. all due respect to the preeminent family, here we go. When D'Angelo lobbied at the last minute to remove the acreage caps, through the organizations and companies that he owned in Salinas, and then came back four years later to decry corporate cannabis and the way in which it was ruining <laughs> California's industry. It was like he wanted to be perceived as an outsider when he was an insider, but he was an outsider, but he was an insider. So Vocal Hokel wants to decry the glacial rate of change, the lack of progress, but that's all you, girl. So what are you going to do? Hit yourself mm -hmm. in the head with a hammer? Because we saw this coming. And you saw this coming if you had half a brain. And your advisors saw this coming. And now it's here. And you made your bed. And yeah, it's uncomfortable for all stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I like I really I like the analogy, Yaro. I'm not 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 mad at that analogy at all. It's, you know, yeah. There's a not um, There's a photo. There's a photo in history books um, of our 33rd president, Harry Truman. He's sitting in front of a desk, mm -hmm. and there's a little placard in the front of that desk, and there's a saying on the front of that placard. And you know what it says on the front of that placard, Jason? What does it say? It the says, oh, stops, stops here. here. Uh huh. 
Hey, that's all I got to say about that, that. Hey, you know that's that that's, that's I, I'm with that. You know what I mean? I I, I totally get it. The buck the buck stops here. I understand that. I've led numbers of different things over the years. I totally get it. It's it's all based off leadership. And uh, I mean I mean I think you can even equate that uh, to possibly even uh, the Lions losing yesterday when they decided not to kick the field goal and go for it on fourth down. It was the leadership call that called that play and caused them not to tie the game and be able to uh, go into overtime. Yeah, listen, it's hard for me to disparage anything about that Lions coach. That guy had those that his players playing at a super high level. Oh, I um, I, I give a major credit. A I give like a major that. credit. Give a major I give a major credit. Not 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 I'm not trying to take away or throw shade in in, in regards to. I'm just saying. It, it's so just shade. at the at the end of the day, all leadership is about owning things. Mm -hmm. And yet with the example in the article or the analogy I drew, we see leaders distancing themselves from those things that have occurred during their period of leadership and not wanting to own it. And so I think what Hoka was trying to do was show that she understood the frustration and she had heard her constituents. Um, but until she goes back to the drawing board, instead of telling other people to go back to the drawing board, she doesn't really get it. No, she does not. That's for sure. I think I think uh, Gavin Newsom and Governor Hochul should both uh, go on a date together because they're both governors of the two largest trap markets in the country. Hey, man, is that is that the the, the twenty twenty eight ticket right there? Just saying, just saying, just saying. Just a thought, you guys. Just a, just a thought. But New York, New York's a total, total shit show. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. And anything that they do is not going to make it better anytime soon either. Like, e even if they went yeah, back like, to the what drawing is, board. What is, what is, yeah, what is, what is, what is scrapping everything that they did? What is that going to do at this point? I mean, honestly, they should, just, they should scrap. More. They should scrap everything that they did. And then, and then you're going to have all of these people whining and crying because they spent all this money to open up and operate under, under this, uh, uh, the, the system and, and it's, it's just going to go nowhere. They're going to, they're going to be, they're going to be out all that money. If they scrap the whole system, they're going to be out of their licenses, out of their permits, everything. I'm going to so throw Jason, a light calling, craft out there. New York, are you calling New York cannabis, the Detroit lions of the cannabis industry? No, because the Detroit Lions have have far surpassed anything that New York has done in regards with cannabis. There was only one good thing that New York did with cannabis, and that was not arresting people um, in regards for smoking outside on the streets and whatnot. That was the best thing that New York did for cannabis. And ever since then, it's all been downhill. We believed in them. People I mean, I'm going to throw them a life raft right now. I'm going to throw them. I'm going to throw them a savior right here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say New York. If you would like the Hyatt Nine News to sit on a panel and craft your cannabis policy for your state, yeah. we will charge a very, very low fee because a nominal we want to fee. see it done in the right way. A nominal fee. A nominal fee. Nominal fee. Yes. Yes. But I'll tell you what, Fair though. Kathy, Kathy Hochul is going to have to give up her PJ so that we can get back and forth. Granted. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's they crazy. have some pretty bright people out there in New York from Lulu doing on the reveal. Do they really, you know, do they really the, though? The... Do they really though? Cause it doesn't translate into sensible policy. So I have to seriously question. No, it does. Like that. So it doesn't, it doesn't, 
it doesn't translate into policy, but between the monkeys and Lulu, there's a, a vibrant, you know, Mike at Chef, Chef for Hire, there's a vibrant ca cannabis community. There's a, a lot of people who are wanting this program to function. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of know-how and intel and experience there. I don't necessarily think as much as I would like to that they needed to travel all the way to the left coast to get all of the information that they would need to do a better job. And let's be really clear what poly speak means, right? Back to the drawing board means I fucked up. Mm -hmm. And how do we say that in a way that's a little bit more authentic? Back to the drawing board is not tweaks to policy. Yeah, It means there's a foundational collapse and, and to not own that and to say, well, I told my people this and I'm gonna, you know, I'm very frustrated. Then, then resign, please. Right. When 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 we say things like like the the jive the jab that I just made about New York, I mean we kind of have some truth to it. And I say that like, and I don't want to make the uh, come out of context like, oh, we're coming in here and showing New York how to do it. You're right, Yaro, and and New York. New York too. has very very intelligent people, straight hustlers that been hustling since hustling was hustling, but. This is what I'm. This is what I'm trying to communicate. It's not necessarily that they don't have the know-how. It's the part that you said that they have that I don't think that they have, and that's the experience. So, right. if if you can tap in with some OGs or some people on the in a market that's fairly close to you in terms of of 2024, uh, you know, closeness now. So you can tap in with some people in California that have the know-how that been that have the experience in these markets and kind of can help craft where you guys are steering this ship into into the docks. Um, I, for me personally, if I was intelligent and I was in New York, I would be listening to people in California. I'd be listening to people in Colorado. I'd be listening to people who would ever had some insight that they could give me on some experience in the legal market, how to deal with the trap, how to craft policies that make sense, how to not suffocate the entire industry. Those are things that I would say, okay, like, talk to me about those things. You know what I'm saying? But you're right. The people in New York are extremely intelligent. They're going to get this right eventually. I hope that we are there to um, celebrate with them when they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'll tell and you what. And to your point about ships, and, and to your point about ships and the docks and all that stuff, that the, the, the question for me isn't if they're going to get it right, okay? The question is how many destroyed businesses how many distraught entrepreneurs, how many social equity hopes and dreams dashed on the rocks by the dock before they get it right? And how many people had to spend money in the queue waiting to be a regulated entrepreneur? And how many failed businesses will occur as a result of the slow, imperfect, inefficient rollout and who will make those people whole? Because there's no guarantees in business anyway. Hold on, and so the challenge for me is not that that foregone conclusion. It will finally work itself out. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, they're creating stress, a lack of opportunity, and and broken promises. Well, you know, in the, but see, a business a business person is going to be able to thrive, and uh, you could put a hustler on anywhere on God's green earth and he'll triple his worth. So what my, my, All my right, point Mac in Dre. saying that is you can in any kind of situation, right? 
you have to analyze what's going on around you as a person coming out of a traditional market into a legal market, right? So the people that, that you're referring to right now that are getting chewed up and spit out in this situation, waiting for two years with their leases and stuff like that, I feel really bad for them because they, they, were, they were duped into thinking the situation was something that it's not. But at the same time, like, it was something that it was not. You chose to jump into a blender and then you got chewed up. Mm-hmm. So if you were, if you were, uh, had caution in this situation and looked at this and said, look, I'm going to come into this situation and I'm going to look at those around me and see if they've done it right. See how this plays out and not rush in. Fools rush in, correct? So now we're going to kind of play a more cautious optimism around the peripheral of this thing that New York has going on and not jump out there and execute two or three million dollars before I can even make a penny. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. And, and Yaro, on, on your point, you know, you, there's one, one, one group that you forgot out of that mix, and that is the hemp farmers who had to store all of that weed for a year and a half before they could even sell it on the market. They had to pay for all that storage space to just sit around and let the cannabis just decompose and decompose and decompose until they had to hawk it to some unknowing customer in some dispensary somewhere thinking that they're buying good stuff. Shame, shame, shame. But nonetheless, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Hey, you, America. Do I look like Sean Connery? <laughs> Good morning, America. Saman Razani coming to you live from sunny Los Angeles, California with the one and only highest host, Mr. Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast? You can find it on Apple Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. No excuses in 2024. If you haven't checked us out, check it out now. And also, check out what the Prophet's doing in 2024. Up next. Up next mm-hmm. is the self-proclaimed highest Republican in any room, known for smoking the best weed in the world and most likely spent most of his weekend fundraising for a dear friend that found himself in a... $83 million hole. Come to the stage. Y'all know who it is. Jason Beck. Oh, man. You guys are funny, funny, funny. Funny, 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 Rico. Well, I'll tell you what. I think he should file a case against E. Jean Carroll in the state of West Virginia. And therefore, he'll get a favorable verdict. And then it'll just default the judgment. What are you, talk, what are you, what are you yeah. talking about, man? I, I, I didn't name any names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonetheless, I'm going to go into my story <laughs> just because. And this is for you, Rico. This is for you because I I know how much you love this. Virginia lawmakers begin to tackle weed sales three years after legalization. That's right. Three years after legalization, small amounts of marijuana for adults. Virginia lawmakers are finally moving ahead with efforts to create a marketplace for adult use cannabis. A Senate committee advanced a bill to get regulated retail system up and running by January 1st, driven partially by concern that an illicit market is already flourishing. Though uh, Democrats and some Republicans have expressed interest in passing some 
kind of marijuana legislation. Governor Yunkin has, has sent signals that he's not on board, though he stopped short of promising a veto. The Senate's Cannabis Subcommittee opted for a bill that would allow the Virginia Cannabis Control Authority to issue retail licenses as of on July 1st, but not allow sales until January 1st. The subcommittee weighed uh, Rouse's bill against a measure from Senator Adam P. Eben, a Democrat from Alexandria, which would have allowed existing medical marijuana companies to start selling adult-use cannabis as of July 1st. The medical marijuana firms would also have to pay a $1 million license fee. On Friday, the Senate's uh, Rehabilitation and Social Services Committee referred Rouse's bill to the Courts of Justice Committee on a bipartisan 10 to 5 vote, and the bill would increase the legal possession amount from one ounce to two and a half ounces and impose a 12% retail cannabis tax. In the House of Delegates, uh, Delegate Paul E. Kreitz is uh, carrying a version of the bill that Eben sponsored in the Senate. There is no House version of Rouse's bill. Keats said he's concerned that the version of the legislation advancing in the Senate admits the effort to create small business incubators and help entrepreneurs from disadvantaged communities get a head start. The Krizik and Eben bills avoid uh, racial discrimination and instead aim to set up an incubator partnerships between disadvantaged entrepreneurs and companies already active in the medical cannabis market. A resolution proposed by Dr. or excuse me, uh, Delegate Terry G. Kilgore, Republican from Scott, would order the Virginia Cannabis Control Authority to study the creation of a retail marijuana marketplace and make recommendations for each of the two, uh, each of the next two years. If all the other retail marijuana bills fail, the resolution would be a backstop. On the House side, at least one Republican, Chris Obensheen, uh, has told media in his district that he's interested in passing some kind of marijuana market regulation. Well, 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 Virginia could have a retail market as of January 1st of next year, but I'm willing to bet something happens between now and then, and it doesn't even come to flourishing, and the trap will survive, and all the residents in Virginia will still be going to D.C. to go and buy their weed because they can self-certify, but nonetheless, this is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do y'all have to say about this? I'm from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing to do but cook. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um... Uh, uh, what's the math behind this one million dollar uh, licensing fee for the medical firms to to help pay for the small businesses? I, I, I'm like, with you, bro. Uh, I like this is not Florida, bro. This is Virginia. Okay, this is Virginia. I don't know how. I don't know what companies are even going to be able to pay this million dollars. I probably they're probably putting it in there so then that way they don't have any of these companies and they have to start all new with all new people. I'm willing to bet that that's part of their plan. I mean, this is replicatable policy misstep. Mm -hmm. Tax people at a really high level, but then say you're giving it to worthy recipients to justify the tax, create massive barriers to entry, and continue to uh, look at cannabis as the curative cash cow for all other issues and policies that need funding. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. We've seen this a, a million times before. It's yep. like looking back in time. I know how this they movie throw ends. A number out there, like, like, yeah, they, they throw a number out there like uh, like uh, cannabis farmers are making money. Uh, like they're making uh, money hand over fist right here. 
and I was like, oh yeah, a million dollars is going to help all the other ones. Uh, you know, rising tides, you know, mm -hmm. raise all ships and all that. But um, I mean, well, I'm, I'm feeling that Austin what? Powers what? guy, what? and the licenses will be a billion dollars. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. come on, it's crazy. I mean, I wonder, I wonder, I, I, I love that, Yaro. I, I wonder where is all of this million dollars uh, designated to go to in the state? Please. Like, 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 what, what are they going to, what are they going to be paying? Yeah, but they're not. We gonna, have. Uh, they're going to, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be looking for the unlicensed grows like they're doing here in Operation Thor's Hammer of California. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're going to no, do. The money, the money's going to go to police, law enforcement, and drug rehab. That's usually always where it's earmarked for. And this is like the East Coast. Listen, East Coast, Virginia, New York included, whoever over there. Listen, the mafia had it like they didn't lean on people so bad to where it went they went out of business like maybe you guys got to take a page out of the mafia's book out there and say hey look lean on these businesses a little lighter let them make some money so that keep, they can pay your vig mm -hmm. come on right. yeah exactly or, or, or they they didn't they didn't make them pay like all that money up front they they got they they got they collected their taxes on the back end mm -hmm. <laughs> and wait to see what they're making first <laughs> before they're like oh yeah yeah give me a million dollars and they're gonna million, let you operate yeah, you but just give me a million dollars we'll let you do whatever you want to do go just go for it look look a million dollars isn't what it used to be these days that's your traffic study your archaeological report your security diagram i mean the thing is we need to we need to shatter two false premises one which is that heavily taxing cannabis is a sustainable model and two that allocating those cannabis taxes towards worthy programs and recipients it is fair to the fledgling regulated cannabis industry because who doesn't love orphans with yeah, cleft palates yeah, that need to be supported? Like and so mm -hmm. they pick these great programs to support, but they're still taxing, which is at the end of the day, just supporting the trap. Exactly. It's supporting the trap and it's supporting all these bureaucrat bureaucrats that, that, that really could never get like real jobs. Never. It's a shame. And it's a burden to the people that are really trying to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. It's a burden to them. It's really hard to, ma to make it work when you have all these other things weighing you down like that. A hundred percent. Hey, Luke, would you say, would you say like um, that these Virginia farmers have to uh, pay a high price? Oh, a very, very high price. Very nice. They have to pay that. a high price just to be able to have weed for the people. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And on that, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. God damn it, I went out of order. Sorry about that, you guys. But nonetheless, coming up next, it's our very own outlaw correspondent, Mr. Luke Scarmazzo, who at one point in time did some time for a cannabis crime. But I'll tell you what, he didn't do no telling, but was convicted as a felon. That's right, it is none other than Luke Scarmazzo. Yes, yes. It's Monday. 
So it's, we're getting a slow start today, but man, the outlaw news is hitting at a high pace. So I got a good one for you today. And this is one that there's multiple layers in this story. So I, I, I want you guys to kind of listen closely. It's, it's one that we've covered and it's been covered well in the news, but there's, we have a little backstory and some updates on this now. So here we go. Girlfriend who stabbed boyfriend 108 times in marijuana induced episode smoked strand with more than 30% THC. Okay. Now let me first preface this by saying they say they use the word strain in here multiple times. I used the word strain on James Loud yesterday a few times, talk, referring to when we would use that terminology back in 04. And man, like the language police got on me and said I had to use cultivar. So maybe you guys can get on uh, this this uh, journalist. I don't know, but what she that's the way that, that's the way it's written. So I'm just going to read how it was written. Lawyers for the California woman who avoided prison time after fatally stabbing her boyfriend 108 times in a marijuana-induced psychotic episode have revealed that she consumed a strain of the drug with a THC level of more than 30%, significantly higher than the average dose. Brian Spector, 33, consumed a marijuana strain with 31.8% THC when she stabbed her boyfriend, Chad Omelia, to death in 2008, her turn, or 2018, her attorney said. The defense of the cannabis-induced psychosis was based primarily on the testimony of both the renowned psychologist, Dr. William Wershing, and prosecution expert, Dr. Chris Monahandy. Her attorney, Michael Goldstein, told Fox News, the strain, the strain, was a, a, the strain had a warning label indicating that it was a, for high-tolerance users only, since its THC content was above the average level of between 18 and 24%. I guess 18 and 24% has become average now. Ventura County, Ventura County Supreme Court Judge David Worley ruled that that's fajector how do you say that name? I don't know. Spedjector? I'm just going to say Spedjector? I don't know. Had no control over her actions in an involuntary manslaughter case. The defense presented in court was not a con job, as some have described it, Goldstein said. In a state of unconsciousness, Spedjector also stabbed her dog and then herself repeatedly after deputies were called into their apartment. Wilshire and Monahandy, Mohandy were among four experts whose work was cited in the trial who said Sojector violence, violence was unpredictable and unforeseeable, Goldstein said. Sojector had only smoked weed less than half a dozen times before the fatal stabbing. She only smoked weed six times before the seventh time. Don't think you're safe on the fifth or sixth time. It could be the seventh time that you go into your psychotic episode. As far as DUI is concerned, or oh wait, her lawyers were asked to describe the difference in her case in a fatal drunk driving crash, which Goldstein chalked up to awareness, noting that Spajector did not know what she was getting herself into as Malia provided the pot and did not show her the warning label. As far as a DUI is concerned, that person knowingly and consciously drinks to the excess and decides to get behind the wheel of a car, he said. In Ms. Pajector's case, 
She took a hit of what she believed to be a legal consumer product in the sanctity of Mr. Amelia's home as they sat on the couch with no plans to go driving home that evening. Goldstein described Amelia as a well-documented, experienced, and chronic user of the potency of, of high-potency cannabis. Okay, chronic user. I wonder if that was a pun. That came with the responsibility. That came with a responsibility. With that information, Ms. Vector could have made an informed decision, and this tragedy could have been avoided, he added. Outside of the courthouse, Omelia's father, Sean Omelia, said the system completely failed his son. After being con convicted by a jury of involuntary manslaughter, Vector received just two years probation, 100 hours of community service, and no prison time. The judge didn't do his job, Sean Omelia said. He didn't do what he was responsible to do. Marijuana is legal in California for prescribed medicinal users, users over the age of 18 and for recreational users over 21. Ms. Svajector is broken and remorseful for what happened to Chad. Goldstein said she will never again live a normal life and her medical license and ability to help other deaf people is at risk. Okay, so let me go ahead and start my rant by saying this. Stop putting all this significance on THC percentage. Listen, THC percentage is not the sole factor. When you make a pie and you list the ingredients on the, on the side of the pie, right? Okay, one of the ingredients might be sugar. Okay, if you take that sugar out and you put it into a pie pan and you just start eating it, you're not eating pie, you're just eating sugar. So when you, when you isolate and you say, oh, t this THC percentage was this high, so this flour automatically had to be really exceptionally good or get you really exceptionally high or have this effect to it, that's not true, that's false. You guys are making that up. These lab tests and all these things that are going on with this THC percentage and, and how consumers are buying cannabis, is a, it's a creation of our own, our, of our own doing, trust me. I, and I'm gonna take responsibility for it, for sure. I was one of those people that were like, oh yeah, THC, THC percentage, you know, before we knew about all the entourage effect and the other cannabinoids. But there's, there's, there are cultivars that will test very low on THC percentage. And if you consume them, they will make your heart race and it will make you feel like you're having a high energy and, and panic and, and things like that. It has nothing to do with THC. So for us to understand more of this, we have to do more research. We have to legalize the plant to open up more research. We have to federally legalize. We have to do have interstate commerce. We have to open up and drop all of these barriers in order to understand this plant better to where we can now have educated conversations about THC and other cannabinoids and how they affect the body, how they affect the mind. Not these BS studies about the psychosis that some doctor came up with and now everybody holds up in every situation and says, oh, high potency marijuana causes psychosis. That's BS. I'm saying that right now. Luke Scarmazzo, that is straight BS. Stop regurgitating false science and let's get some real science behind this plan. And then we can all really have make informed decisions. Okay. I know, I, I know why. Nobody can come. Go ahead. Yara. Nobody, Go ahead, nobody, nobody can come over the top of that. So Luke has given you the serious. I will give you the barely serious. Okay. First of all, <clears throat> I'd like to know what brand that was. Because oh, that's yeah. a killer strain, yes. obviously. 
and they are slaying it. <laughs> but uh bomb. And the thing is, you know, we need to be a little bit more compassionate because we found out in the article that she's uh, hearing impaired, which means that as she was stabbing him 108 times, she just couldn't hear him say that she had already hit the mark, right? He was like, I, she thought, hold good. on, Yarrow, I think, I think she thought she was stabbing him with a shake weight. <laughs> the thing also is I want to know if she was charged with cruelty to animals because she stabbed the dog mm -hmm. and like, I don't know this guy, but I definitely know that there is not a canine out there that deserves that type of treatment and torture. Um, I do think that it sounds like her sentence. I question, and I hate to say this, but I feel like if she had been male, the sentence would have been greater. I mean, like if a dude, like the domestic abuse is a real thing, but like she got off a little light, it seems like. Um, uh, and then I just... I can't help but think about how these kinds of cases set back the destigmatization of cannabis about 40 years. Um, this defense just bothers me. The attorney who chose to run with it bothers me. I don't know that we have science to support this. And it seems well, like they're just playing to the headlines. I think I figured out. I think I figured out why, um, why she was able to skate this case, Yarrow. I'm willing to bet that there was some cannabis operator that was on this jury and because his name was was chad is the reason why she got away with it because she was killing the chads that's why <laughs> let's just say that we have already celebrity brands with convicted rapists let's hope this lady doesn't get out of jail and become <laughs> become the next celebrity brand bro she's the chad uh, killer bro she's the chad killer I'm just Listen, saying, you, know, uh, you can't make this up. I, somebody, let's let's not forget that somebody did what well, did die here, and there's somebody's son that passed away in this situation. I don't want to be like the rain or on the parade type situation, but there was a tragedy that happened here, and it, it's sad how it's blamed on THC. It's, it's sad how it's blamed on cannabis, and it, you know, people who are familiar with cannabis and its usage will tell you that this had nothing to do with THC. This had nothing to do with cannabis or the uh, yes. number of times that she had yeah. used cannabis. This was a situation where we had somebody who had some severe mental health issues and needed help in whatever capacity. And I don't know what the situation was with her boyfriend, but listen, it's a tragedy all around. And to continue to, to, to mesh cannabis into it in the, in the way that the news is doing it and the way that, uh, has been done by doctors and these studies is just it's, it's tragic and we need to we need to switch that narrative we need to switch that narrative off of this is caused by thc and and drill down and say hey what what how, how do we help people in these situations and then totally have a separate conversation about thc and, mm -hmm. and cannabis no i agree with you luke it, it, you're so right it is a tragedy, and and we do want to be be mindful of of the families because there is someone that did did lose their, lose their life in this tragedy. But at the same time, like this this is the the fact that 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 she was able to get off with this type of type of a defense is just mind boggling to me. Absolutely, it's and, a, and, it's and, a, it's and a you're right, Luke. Mm -hmm. My 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 natural inclination when 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 faced with uncomfortable or sad topics. Is, is to make a joke about it, whether it's landmines mm -hmm. or a Holocaust. You know, humor is the way that I approach 
even things that are not funny. But to your point, there's a loss of life here. There's a family missing a son. There, there is real pain and 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 suffering and 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 avoidable sadness that occurred. Um, and it reminds me of that article that we covered here with the guy who tried to open the airplane door while the airplane was up in the air, mm-hmm. and then tried yeah. to use the, the, the blame it on the defense. mushrooms. Yeah. And and I think that you know there there is a legitimate conversation that should be happening about the increased potency of cannabis and what that does and how that's different than say the weed that was smoked at Woodstock. Um, and Luke, to your point, I mean you hit the nail on the head. We have a we have a lot of people with mental health issues in this country that are being untreated or undertreated, and we see it or, show up or over-treated. in a lot of crime. Overtreated even or overtreated, and and we we see that show up in a lot of crime, from from a, a lot of crazy crime, a lot of tragedy, a lot of death. Um, and so as a society, as a country, it would be awesome if in the near future, mental health treatment and access to those types of services, uh, if we could lower those barriers to entry so that people could get the help they need, so that less people are impacted by those people's conditions. Yeah, and a lot of times what it is, is people with mental health conditions are self-medicating with cannabis. It's not necessarily that cannabis caused them to have these psychotic breaks or to have these episodes. It's like they were they, they found a plant that was helping them to be more tranquil and peaceful. And, you know, it doesn't work 24 hours a day. Sometimes they don't have access to it 24 hours a day. And I'm not saying that was the case here, but I'm saying that is the case sometimes. Is sometimes we have a lot of people who are self-medicating and it's they, they want to make a, a causal uh, re- correlation to, to cannabis and the offense, and that just isn't true. Mm-hmm. It does also sound like when she stabbed the dog, she might have just try- been trying to dispose of the only witness, but I can understand where her oh, mind was at there for boy. a second. Oh, boy, she thought her dog was a snitch. But uh, on that, we're going to roll into the promo. Whatever you're doing right now, make sure that you hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you've not subscribed already. And all the articles that we cover on today's show, you can read directly on our website at www.hyatnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smokey Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Oh, yeah, that's right, and we're back. Coming up next, that's right, it is the man from Florida, even though he doesn't realize that he is from Florida. He thinks he's from Santa Rosa, but nonetheless, he does cannabis, he does real estate, and on Sundays, he will do cannabis real estate as well. That's right, it is none other than Mr. Yaro Kubrin. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for the epic and always changing intro. 
The only real estate that matters to me after yesterday is the field for the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. And San Francisco shall prevail. <clears throat> My article today is from Marijuana Moment, <laughs> and it is about a lawsuit. Oregon company withdraws interstate marijuana trade lawsuit saying big things are coming very soon. Plaintiffs in a federal court case centered on interstate marijuana trade have voluntarily withdrawn their lawsuit against the state of Oregon, providing no public explanation for the move beyond saying that, quote, big things are coming on the front this front very soon, unquote. Jefferson Packinghouse, a state-licensed cannabis wholesaler based in Medford, filed suit against the Oregon Governor Kate Brown and others in November 2022, challenging a state law that bans exporting marijuana across state lines. While cross-border cannabis commerce is also illegal under federal law, the company said at the time that its goal was to invite Oregon officials to join them in pursuing reform. Pro tip, inviting people typically doesn't include suing them. <clears throat> we recognize that marijuana is still illegal under federal law and that this lawsuit will not change that fact the company said in a letter to state officials when the suit was filed. However, we believe that the state of Oregon should be fully aligned with supporting its local marijuana industry, and therefore that Oregon law should no longer prohibit the export of marijuana to other states. In a one-sentence notice filed with the court this week, however, Jefferson Packinghouse withdrew its suit. Plaintiff Jefferson Packinghouse LLC hereby provides notice of its voluntary dismissal of the above captioned matter without press prejudice, wrote Andrew DeWeese, a Portland attorney who represents the company. In response to questions from Marijuana Moment, DeWeese sent the following statement. Said the company remains committed to leading the way in a push towards a true national cannabis market. State prohibition on interstate commerce and cannabis remains unconstitutional, he said. Today's procedural move does not change any of that. Big changes are coming on this front very soon. DeWeese did not immediately respond to a follow-up email. Lawyers for the state have previously asked the court to dismiss the case, asserting that Jefferson lacks standing. In a January motion, they wrote that because federal law also prohibits the export of cannabis products, the company's alleged injuries are not likely to be addressed by the relief that it is seeking. Further, they argue the Dormant Commerce Clause does not apply as the lawsuit describes it. That doctrine prohibits states from treating interstate and intrastate commerce differently, the state's filing says. Here, however, there is no interstate commerce to treat differently. A reply last March from Jefferson, however, contended that the Federal Controlled Substance Act did not eliminate commerce in marijuana any more than a criminal statute eliminated the act or conduct it forbids. It's not clear what might have led the company to drop its legal challenge. The move, first reported by Law 360, may signal that the company expects a future development that would allow interstate commerce. Though it also is possible the company is concerned that the unfavorable ruling would cause more harm than good. Legal changes at the state level, for example, undoing the prohibition on interstate trade, could also render the case irrelevant. Federal rescheduling of marijuana would conceivably allow some cross-border cannabis trade, at least of medications approved by the Food and Drug Administration, but it's unlikely that a Schedule II designation, Schedule III designation in itself would allow state legal cannabis businesses to broadly engage in interstate commerce. Already, Oregon has a law on its books, which Brown signed into law in 2019 that would permit the state to export and import cannabis across state lines, but only if the federal government makes it legal, or if the Justice Department implements an administrative policy allowing for such commerce. The Justice Department has not signaled that such a policy change is forthcoming. 
all three West Coast states that have interstate commerce laws on the books, in fact, with Washington adopting a similar law in uh, to Oregon's in May of last year. And California has also enacted a cross-border cannabis law. But under that policy, the state attorney general could also trigger the implementation regardless of federal considerations. In January of last year, state regulators requested that Attorney General Rob Bonta prepare that guidance. Bonta's office, however, said last month that launching interstate cannabis commerce could put California at significant risk to federal action. You think? In 2022, the federal appellate court ruled that Maine's law prohibiting non-residents from owning medical marijuana businesses in the state violated the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. Some experts believe that the same rationale in validating the residency restrictions comes into play with state-level bans on marijuana imports and exports. Disallowing import and export of medical cannabis between consenting states could be construed as simile, similarly protectionistic and unconstitutional, the thinking goes. Meanwhile, in Oregon, both Republicans and Democrats have expressed interest in rolling back certain provisions of Measure 110, the state's historic voter-approved law that decriminalized possession of all drugs. The Oregon Secretary of State said last year that the law has improved treatment. Critics contend the police need to be able to make arrests and charge drug users in order to encourage treatment. All right, so let me kick this off for y'all real quick, okay? We have talked on this show about lawsuits where I believe that the value of the lawsuit is the PR play. And so here we have an Oregon cannabis business suing the state that already passed a law in 2019 indicating its willingness to participate with interstate commerce and justifying the lawsuit as an invitation, okay? Let's be really clear about words. When I get an invitation, it's usually to somebody's wedding. When I get an invitation, I get a place to go, I get to eat some finger foods, maybe I even get to dress up. Suing somebody is not an invitation. So that kind of double speak doesn't go, go over well with me. And then not having standing and trying to sue Oregon over a federal issue all I can say is probably the reason why they dropped this lawsuit is because they ran out of public relations resources that was allowing them to get their 15 minutes of fame and be a, a larger part of a larger and broader conversation around federal illegality. However, it is my personal opinion that when we complain about the wasted resources with overregulation and burdensome taxation, that this Oregon cannabis business wasted a bunch of taxpayers' time and money by suing Oregon. This is Yarrow Kubrin, Monday morning, December 29th, High at Nine News. I'd like to know what you guys think. Man, I mean, I, I smell, I smell a trade-off. I smell a trade-off somewhere, Yarrow. I feel like this, this is, this is part of a bigger story, and this is just the first step of that. This is all hype and BS because yeah. they said, oh, big things are coming soon. You don't know if big things are coming soon. You're not yeah. the federal government. You're not in any of those regulatory agencies. Shut your pie hole. Go back to barbecuing on a Sunday on your Traeger and know that you just wasted a bunch of taxpayer resources by suing a state that already has a relatively friendly policy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He he realized he stepped. In. I, I'm I'm willing to bet this is part of a of a, of a broader settlement for him to because he probably wants something done there locally and in order for him to get that done he's going to need to to drop this lawsuit. That, that that's what I think. I think there's something else going on that that this article is not touching on. I mean, in the Pacific what do you, Northwest. What do you think, Luke? 
in the Pacific Northwest, it rains too much. They they get really depressed up there. It's gloomy. <laughs> it's like nine months out of the year. You know, most of my friends that are in Washington, Oregon, BC area, like they're a little throwed. I love them. They're my guys. I'll ride for them to the end. But listen, that it does something to you up there when you live in that like gloomy weather, and it just man, yeah. like you know. Yeah. But hey. <sighs> It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to talk about these situations, right? Because we see just the repeat of so many things happen again and again. And but I think you hit it on the head, Yaro. I think you hit this square on the head in that these. This looked to me like a PR move, and I don't know if they have a longer game that they're playing with this or what it is. But a lot of times you'll see attorneys and people will file these suits, and it's strictly they know they have no bearing on them. That it's just to hold up into the media and say, this is what's going on. Um, yeah, it's a waste of money. California is notorious for it. We, mm -hmm. we clog the system with all these dumb lawsuits of, uh, you know, but it is what it is. It's, it's a, it's the nature of the beast that we've created in this bargaining justice system that we call. And now you have people that want to exploit it and sue everybody for everything. And this is a chicken coming home to roost. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm with you. I think we got uh I think we got one more uh, commercial, and we're gonna be right back. Get ready for the 20-year anniversary celebration of the Emerald Cup. The Emerald Cup will be held at the Henry J. Kaiser Center for the Arts in downtown Oakland, May 4th and 5th. Get your tickets now for best pricing. Cannabis categories include flour, three rolls, solventless concentrates, solvent concentrates, cartridges, edibles, topicals, tinctures, and alternative cannabinoids. So enter early for your chance to be a winner at the 20-year anniversary Emerald Cup competition. Guys, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got two more stories. One of them is super, super short, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the longer one first. And, uh, and, and just as a, as a heads up, uh, I did have the, uh, the, the, the AI kind of shorten this because it was a pretty long story. So the, here's the just the tidbits that the AI picked up off of this. Okay. New York cannabis regulators face another lawsuit over equity goals, you guys. That's right. A white male-owned company filed a lawsuit against the New York Office of Cannabis Man Management, arguing that the state regulators are discriminating against its based on race and gender. The plaintiffs claim that they were ranked uh, 2,042 in a hierarchy of about 2,200 operationally ready applicants in a list published by the state's cannabis regulators on January 12th, and that their low priority in the licensing process is a violation of their federal civil rights. The company's complaint states that the Cannabis Control Board is made up of all minorities and women with no white men represented. Last year, the state Supreme Court blocked the office from issuing new cannabis licenses after four veterans sued. The injunction has since uh, been lifted, and a company that applied to operate a marijuana store in New York failed to qualify because one of its owners, Kenneth Gay, locked, uh, lacked a, a significant New York State presence. Gay has a past marijuana conviction in Michigan, and uh, New York implemented rules to ensure that the first adult-use storefronts were run by individuals with no 
ties to the state, but later uh, resumed its controversial licensing program despite the constitutional issues that it had been raised. And Valencia's, uh, Valencia's AG's lawsuit claims that the state office of cannabis management intentionally discriminated against the plaintiff and other white men, you guys. New York, man, oh man, oh man. You guys are just, you guys, you guys just don't ever know when to stop. What do you guys think about this? New York discriminating against white guys in cannabis. Well, now. You first, Luke. You first, Luke. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me start by saying social equity and social justice have nothing to do with color. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody can, that doesn't mean that the communities that were over policed, like black and brown communities, were not over policed in relation to white, their white counterparts. That absolutely is true. But that what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that um, a, a poor Jewish person could live in a certain neighborhood. A uh, older white guy could have a cannabis conviction. A, mm-hmm. You know, there's multiple situational things that can make somebody qualify for these social equity things. So I just wanted to kind of say that grandly before we get into like the whole race and color color situation going on in New York. Um, it, this is basically the affirmative action argument with new words placed in certain spots. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's the same. It's the same legal arguments that were brought before the Supreme Court in in regard to college tuition or college applications. Mm-hmm. So this is just a philosophy, right? This is just if you think that certain people didn't have opportunities and had a, a more difficult time achieving the same level of achievement as other people, then you will agree that this is something that needs to be fixed. If you think that black and brown and Asian people or black and brown and purple people are underrepresented in a certain institution and or a certain industry and things need to be done to make sure that that playing field is even, then that is your prerogative to feel like that. Two different schools of thought, right? And I'm not gonna call either one wrong. But it, you are, are going to be on one of two sides on that. Mm-hmm. Now, in this New York situation, I mean, it's hard for me to get behind any any individual. I don't care what color you are that come that you come in and you say, "Hey, I I shouldn't be pushed down on the priority scale over somebody who actually had to sacrifice and pay a price for us to be where we're at, and for you to even have that argument." So that's where, well, that's what my feelings are on. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll kick it back to you guys. Go for it, Yarrow. I'd love to chime in on this. I mean, you're talking to two white guys who were both justice involved and who both uh, had to eat ramen in a yellow jumpsuit and smell other people's farts. So we come with some experience that I think is relevant uh, to this particular conversation. So... If we use that criteria of justice involved and we know the black and brown communities were disproportionately impacted against, there is a natural, I think, line of logic that you could say even just using that justice involved criteria means there's going to be four to five times more black and brown people who got caught up in the criminal uh, justice system as a result of that disproportionate 
enforcement in those communities. I think that's a good way of looking at it. The thing is this, right? This should come as no surprise to anybody. We have known since the beginning of cannabis social equity policy that we needed to come up with ways to write these criteria that were not gender or race-based, mm -hmm. not because we didn't want to give a leg up for certain communities that were being disproportionately impacted, but specifically because of what my brother Luke said in respects to affirmative action and the way that affirmative action was rolled back through the courts because of lawsuits such as this, because affirmative action was written in a way that was uh, not going to be defensible uh, when it eventually got ruled upon, right? And so that's why we've come up with disproportionately impacted areas. That's why we've tried to take the impacts of prohibition instead of the descriptors of the communities that were most impacted and come up with these criteria. So this lawsuit was is just a matter of time and anybody who has ever looked at public policy knew that this was coming and and there's been a robust debate around this this month especially on the on the on the heels of Martin Luther King's day that there's no question that black and brown communities were 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 more impacted but let us not forget indigenous communities let us not forget what that hap what happened on the reservations so I think that the challenge is, is that we need to come up with a set of impacts that don't identify who it was, uh, who, who those groups were, because we have a very, very conservative Supreme Court. This is not the era to be taking lawsuits all the way up the, the flagpole and hope that you're going to get some sort of socially progressive outcome. And so we really do need to think about social equity, not just in terms of justice involved, but the families, the immediate families of those that were justice involved and ways to write criteria that speak to the disproportionate impact without making it about gender or color. Not because it isn't, but because we know it's not gonna be defensible when these lawsuits happen. And they are going to happen, and this is one of them. It's not the end of it, and we need to be smarter than that when we write policy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well said, well said, you guys, well said. Um, in the essence of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll right into this last last story, you guys. And it's a quick one. This is for you, Luke. I, I got one for you, all right? Here we go. California police chase Nets huge haul of shrooms and marijuana. That's right. The California Highway Patrol officers uh, working the graveyard shift shift seized nearly a half a million dollars worth of psychedelic mushrooms and marijuana after an overnight pursuit. According to an Instagram post from the CHP's East L.A. station, officers attempted to make a traffic stop on a vehicle, but the driver had other ideas. The driver failed to yield, and our officers, along with, our, with an airship, a.k.a. helicopter, went into pursuit. The, uh, the Instagram post said, uh, upon the pursuit's uh, termination, officers seized approximately 120 pounds of psychedelic mushrooms and 40 pounds of marijuana, authorities said. An estimated street value of the drugs was nearly $400,000. CHP did not go into detail about uh, where the pursuit was initiated and how long it lasted or where it ended. But I have a question about this cop math, you guys. What is going on with this? And how are they quantifying that, that this many 120 pounds of psychedelic mushrooms 
and 40 pounds of, of cannabis is coming out to $400,000. Can you, can anyone please explain this to me? All I know is that this is why I sat at Popeye's all night waiting for that fool. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, but man, uh, they yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they come up with these numbers. That, like they're they're different every time. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. I don't know what scale they use for any of this. I don't know if they just freestyle it. This is. I, I mean, four hundred thousand. Okay, so let's just say, uh, who knows? Oh man, I just can't. I can't even like with the numbers. The one hundred twenty pounds and forty pounds. So that's one hundred sixty pounds. Uh, what, 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 this this is not correct math, you guys. Not not even in this like this this is this is even worse than government math. I mean, I can tell you what they should have cost. Yeah, I I can tell you the the real value, but you know, nonetheless, nonetheless, I'll I'll let you guys put it in the chat in the calculator. You guys figure out what you guys think. But uh, man, oh man, oh man, high speed chase. What 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 did you think of this 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 wording of uh? of the ghetto bird calling it an airship. I feel, are they getting ready for an alien invasion with this press release? I mean, it's always a justification of the militarization of our domestic law enforcement uh, uh, agencies. And so they have been taking military gear and militarizing the police for decades, including taking surplus military equipment from Iraq and giving them to local police departments. And look, I want every police department to have a SWAT team. In Sonoma County, Henry Chapter One, they put that helicopter on the chopping block for you know for budget reasons. I was like, are you kidding me? How do you expect to pluck some tourist off a rock at the coast when they over overestimated what the or underestimated what the tide was going to do so we do need we do need police and police helicopters for rapid response and to get to hard to reach areas but the challenge that i have is that more broadly you know we have seen a lot of equipment in the hands of local uh, and domestic law enforcement that wasn't initially designed for it. and so when i hear them talk about the airship what I what comes up for me is they're probably meeting with their local supervisors next week to talk about next year's budget, and they want to show the effectiveness of having that steel bird in the sky to be able to apprehend the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I hear airship, I think like of an Apache attack helicopter or something like that. You know what oh, I'm saying? Yeah. I think that, is, and I think you're right, Yaro. I think that is the terminology they use. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's by design. And over the last 30 to 40, 30 years, I will say our, our police and law enforcement have been ultra militarized. There's no, there's, I mean, in Modesto, they, they have like helicopters and tanks and shit. I'm in the Central Valley. What, what, what do you need something that can like crush a house for with a tank? Like, well, I think, I think know, they were cheaper than bulldozers, Luke. They may be, but my point is it's 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 the look. A bulldozer looks like something you're doing construction on. A mm-hmm. tank looks like something you're occupying my neighborhood and, with. And I spend more than a little bit of time in construction, project management, et cetera, et cetera. And I know the cost of bulldozers and I know the cost of tractors. And I can absolutely tell you that those tanks are much, much more expensive. And so part of this is that when these departments are bequeathed this equipment, there's some benefits for the agencies that are giving this 
surplus equipment away. And then it establishes a, uh, a line item in that budget once you've received that equipment to pay for maintenance and training and all that other stuff. So it's a budget grab. But I'll give you an, an example. The, the CIA had developed, I think, and don't fact check me viewers, but I think the CIA had developed a targeting program called Black Asphalt. And Black Asphalt was subsequently used by the FBI. And then I believe the FBI gave it to the local law enforcement here in Sonoma County. And then they used this Black Asphalt program to profile drivers going up 101, our local freeway, to determine who they should pull over in the hopes that those people might have cannabis contraband so that they could search those people bust them, arrest them, asset forfeiture them, and keep that pipeline of defendants in our local criminal justice system robust. And it was subsequently ruled that that wasn't the right use of black asphalt. But there, is, but it's just another example of taking these programs or tools that were designed for incredibly important sensitive military uses and just letting them waterfall down to the local level for the enforcement against to state crimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a, a, a slippery slope. We've established a precedent around that for way too long. And this airship, gunship, mothership, whatever the hell they're using it, they didn't say whirlybird helicopter. My kids would never use that term if they saw something flying over. And and Luke's right. It's it's this it's this it's this way in which we as a society here in this country tend to overly adore all things military. And it's great to thank people for their service and we need a military, but we we tend to prey on the altar of sports, military, violence, and 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 a, and a malformed notion around the second amendment. And and so we don't need we don't need motherships, gunships, airships. We need helicopters that can help rescue people off rocks. Oh, yes. And on that, we're going to close it, <clears throat> close this out. Thank you all for joining us and getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank yous to our audience and supporters for always tuning in daily and listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you, uh, Luke Yarrow, for being here today and everyone joining us uh, in the chat and whatnot. And also, too, I do want to send a special uh, congratulations real quick to all of the winners of from the cat uh catalyst had a big bud tender uh celebration party and they and they acknowledged all of their all of their bud tenders that sold over a hundred thousand dollars worth of product as well as the captains of each 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 dispensary who were the growth high, highest bud tender so shout out to all the winners uh th this weekend that uh that got their jackets got their trophies and all that good stuff. What do you got to say, Yara? Weed, weed for the people, weed for the people, weed for the people. And yeah. listen, shout out Go to all Niners. the Niners. Yes, shout Go out to Niners. all the yes. shout out to all the bud tenders. My daughter is starting her second day of bud tending today. Jasmine, shout out to you and the PCF group out there. Hope you have fun today and learn a whole bunch of new stuff. Oh yeah, shout out to bud tenders today. Monday it's bud tenders day. That's right. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Let's run it at him. Oh, awesome.